Hey everybody, this is Armando Torres and you're listening to the show before the show. And I'm Paige Wesley. And with us we have... Andrea Gazzetta! Yay! Yay! Uh, we've got a great episode for you. It's... I would say it has more twists and turns than a Canadian road, eh? Hey! hey. <laughs> Uh, it's uh, such a fun time. I'm really I'm just, I know I've said it a thousand times. I fucking love this series so much. It's so fun. It's so much fun. Um, but before we get into it, we have some news and reviews. <laughs> uh, the first up on the news section, we have a Patreon. For more information, you can go to patreon.com slash cult podcast for just $5 a month. You get access to our bonus show, the speculation zone, but we have a bunch of other really fun tiers and rewards as well. Uh, second, Secondly, um, we have an upcoming live show. Woohoo! Don't panic because it's not <laughs> something uh, that we're doing in person. It is part of Panic Fest's virtual event, uh, Tricks and Treats. We are doing a double feature with our friends over at the Horror Virgin. Woohoo! Because I'm over there now too. And also, it's Paige. Yeah. Our- and surprise. It's also Paige. <laughs> Surprise, it's me. Surprise, it's my voice four times a week. That's why uh, I, I showed the shirt design for the event uh, to my mom, and she was like, why is Paige's drawing so much bigger than everyone else's drawing? And I, and I was like, because in the Marvel universe that is our podcast, she is the Nick Fury. She <laughs> lords over all of us. I should get an eye patch. <laughs> you we have, have an eye patch. Oh shit, you're right. <laughs> it's on my cult display set like shelf. Oh shit, dude. I honest to god, I might wear uh first of all, we have to decide if we're wearing costumes to the I'm uh, wearing my event. skeleton onesie for sure. I was thinking about potentially maybe trying to play some uh some uh, have a, a a cult podcast uh Halloween costume contest during the intermission yes. of the show. Um, that you can submit for beforehand. We'll, we'll have more information later. Um, but if you want to learn more about this awesome live show, you can go to cultpodcastshow.com. A uh, fun update is that if you are unable to see the show, which we're still working on a starting time, we're thinking around 5 to 6 p.m. Uh, Pacific Standard Time, which would be about 8 to 9 p.m. Uh, Eastern Time. If you are not able to watch the event during that time, you will be able to view the event afterwards. It will be available for download for anyone who has a ticket. So that way you can watch it again, or if you missed it, you can watch it the following day or, you know, whenever you want to watch. You can watch it fucking 20 years from now if you want to, and you watch it and you're like, wow, they're so young. I miss Armando before he got all those arms installed into his body. (laughs) (laughs) That's a joke for 10 minutes from now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so uh, if, you, if you guys want to check that out, again, more information and limited edition merch is available at cultpodcastshow.com. Uh, and also, yeah, let's do a five-star review really quick. This one is from a reviewer called... I didn't read this beforehand, but it's not a nutter. Um, Just appear. Yeah. <laughs> they, they just got one ball. This one comes from Lance Armstrong. And uh, <laughs> and Lance says, uh, "Fun show. You guys have great content." Um, so that's, that's it. That's so a, descriptive. Thank that's you. That's a great review. Oh wait, that's a bot. There's no way that's real. There's a little bit underneath here. It says, uh, "Fun show. You guys have great content." And also, I use drugs to win races. <laughs> I'm Lance Armstrong. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, I think without any further ado, let's get into the show. Before we do that, okay, what if we made cars out of Nerf? <laughs> Hello. Hello. For the purposes of this podcast, we define a cult as organizations that rally behind an entity or leader who espouse beliefs outside the norm, organizations that require physical or monetary sacrifice as a condition of membership, organizations in which the doctrines followed by the leaders are different than that of the followers, organizations in which isolation is encouraged either by commune living or by a policy of disconnection from outside relationships, and organizations that actively recruit new members. All cults might have some or all of these traits, and as always, these are our opinions. Thank you for tuning into Cult Podcast. I'm Paige Wesley. And I'm Armando Torres. And with us we have Andrea Cassetta. Yay! And it's Paige's week. It's my week again. We get to keep talking about motorcycles. I'm still really enjoying it. This is my favorite series I've done in a long time. It's yeah. really fun. It's and a great time. For everyone at home that can't see us right now, Paige is actually dressed head to toe in all leather. Um, yeah. It's pretty It was crazy. a bad decision in this heat. Where the holes are <laughs> may surprise you. Yeah. Yes. It's uh, her ears, nose, and mouth. <laughs> no, there's just a, a zipper for the mouth. It's because we, we did Fifty Shades on Romancing the Pod the other week. These are just leftovers. Oh! It was really good. It was a great episode. It was really fun. <laughs> I had a fantastic time. That explains the <laughs> that explains the dildo patch that you have on your <laughs> leather bodysuit. Legit favorite quote of that podcast is Mikey saying, "Is watching me play video games anyone's fetish?" <laughs> and I was like, yeah. "Wow, that's a real turn off for me." But if you're into BDSM, I could see how that could be a turn on. I'm, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure they call that twitching online. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm also dressed motorcycle themed. I'm dressed as a full beard. <laughs> Wait, what? I'm a sentient beard. Like if Jake shaved and then we just collected the shavings and we're like, you could be anything you want to be. And then. <laughs> and it was like, I want to be Midwestern. Yes, exactly. And then I grew into a grizzled cousin it. So are we ready to get into Hell's Angels part? Three hells, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know you're Let's, mad, but I like no. It. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into these fucking sources, dog. Noise for our sources. Our first source is U.S. Patent Number Nine Two Six Dash Five Nine Zero. I'm so excited. That's the patent for comedy, by the way. Oh, no. Uh, so we've got georgechristie.com. Uh, we have In Search of the Hells Angels by the History Channel for the years 1969 to 1998. We have the Outlaw Chronicles, Hells Angels, uh, for episodes three, four, and six. And we also have Sonny Barger's autobiography, Hells Angel, The Life and Times of Sonny Barger. Are we ready to get into it? Yeah, super ready. Before we do though, I do. I did want to ask because uh, I was a little bit familiar with it. Outlaw Chronicles is uh, the sequel to Chronicles of Narnia, right? <laughs> Where Mister Tumnus gets <laughs> goes through a midlife crisis. I don't know if you know, but Mister Tumnus has been trafficking fairy dust for quite a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I have been in the musical version of Lion King 
The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe once. My sister's been in it twice. It is funny that that book isn't just called Lion King, but I guess it would be called Lion God, right? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it'd be Lion God. Lion Jesus. Lion Jesus. <laughs> oh. The lion is also shirtless, if anyone was wondering. Well, oh, all man. lions are shirtless. Uh, <laughs> it'd be no. weird if the lion wasn't shirtless. The only not shirtless lion is the dare lion, and we all know that he's the narkiest one. <laughs> Yeah, why are his bottoms just out? It's creepy. Anyway. He dares you to touch him. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, because he interacts with children. Oh, <laughs> thanks. I hate it. Oh, my God. The only nice thing about Lion Jesus is that I bet it was a, I bet it was a real hassle to crucify that dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I shouldn't be laughing about animal cruelty, but I'm just picturing people trying to crucify a live and angry lion. And this is, like, you know what? This is, this is how the Romans came up with the idea for the Colosseum. Did y'all know that? Did y'all know that? That's they <laughs> They're like, what if we just let them roam around? Because nailing them down is way too hard. <laughs> oh, but yes, I am so ready to get into Angels Part 3. We have a lot of versions of Jesus on the show. I'm really glad we have now both crustacean Jesus and lion Jesus. <laughs> Collect them all. <laughs> so- in your heart so when we left off last week we had just finished the altamont speedway killings and the aftermath now those killings had the hell's angels in the spotlight again and literally the very next day after the concert Sonny barger kind of the de facto leader of the hell's angels goes on the radio to set the record straight about the killing he tells them about the gun he uh borderline threatens Mick Jagger because he's like they're trying to blame it all on us you know uh the trial happens and even though they have multiple accounts from both Sonny and and other angels and other people who were there it's two years before they actually acquit based on the concert video and not the accounts of the other people there but they are acquitted regardless people now have kind of a bad view of the Hells Angels in the general public because the only version they got of the story, because nobody ever actually reads the articles, just the headlines, was that the Hells Angels had stabbed someone and not that they had essentially saved Mick Jagger from being shot. So in the early 1970s, they continue to ride as a group in public, but there starts to be some dissent among the group. See, we covered it last week. But in 1968 and 1969, Sonny Barger had essentially allowed the Angels, as well as himself, to be in movies about the Angels. And as a result, in some of those movies, actors had ended up wearing Angels gear. And the people who were actually Hell's Angels, who had taken the time to join the club and had invested time in fostering the organization didn't really like that. They didn't think it was fair that an actor could put on the colors that they had earned. Are you fucking kidding me? It's stolen valor, brother. <laughs> I'm I'm dead serious. I'm also, this is not, they're not the only people that do this. Uh, this is why 90% of sororities depicted in movies and TV are fake because you can't wear real sorority colors unless you're a member. I just, I guess, 
they really took issue in part because in some cases, some of them had done jail time, committed crimes. Some of them had even killed for the motorcycle club. And so how fair was it for them to have earned that and then had somebody else just wear it? So in 1972, the Hells Angels actually incorporate and they patent their logo. So U.S. Patent 926-590 is the patent for the Hells Angels flaming, basically winged death's head. Um, And you cannot use it without their permission. It is basically copyrighted and patented. Business, business, business. Business. Business, business. Now, here's the other flip side of it. As we know, because we had to go through incorporation paperwork, uh, incorporating actually helps you in other ways, too. See, if you are a corporation, it makes it harder for people to sue you directly when you're doing something as a part of the organization, where it doesn't make your own personal assets liable. That doesn't necessarily come into play because that doesn't apply for things like criminal trials. Um, But it means that the Hells Angels go a long time without being civilly sued, which is kind of interesting. So uh, as they move through the 70s, they enter kind of a strange period. The police are on high alert. They're definitely tracking them now, but they're also growing bigger than ever. They increase their membership by adding 27 new chapters, some on the East Coast and Canada, but also a few in Europe and Australia. And part of the reason they do this is because the drug business is booming. At this point, the Hells Angels control most meth production operations in the United States. I just want to see the cutscene of the Hells Angels donning suits and carrying briefcases to go to business meetings to trademark their logo and talk about business. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's the weird thing is they're just like rolling up to they, they keep their business meetings and their like illegal business meetings separate. It's like a thing that comes into play later. And so they just roll up in all their leather gear and have business meetings. <laughs> like in a circle in the middle of the desert or like. They have clubhouses. Okay. Yeah. Okay. They're like renting sense. rooms at like the airport. Air- Marriott. Yeah. <laughs> well, so if you've seen Sons of Anarchy, they have a clubhouse and they have a conference room in the clubhouse. It's like that. Like that. That's not a weird. That's not a, a, a you know, inaccuracy. They do have pictures from some of these meetings where it's almost like their clubhouse is kind of designed like a bar. And so they just kind of push a bunch of tables together and they're all kind of around. Um, But these are legitimate business meetings and they're making very smart business moves. I, I will argue that opening up motorcycle chapters in Canada might not be the smartest business move because you can really only ride three months out of the year. Well, I'm about to prove you wrong in a couple minutes. Really? There's a okay. Very, there's a very strategic reason why they moved into Canada. Snow Ooh, chains. Okay, I'm excited. So the Canadian Mounties get very, very worried that they've moved into Canada. So they actually start a task force to help keep an eye on the Hells Angels along with the FBI and various police forces in the U.S. Which is difficult because horses can only travel at top speed 30 miles an hour. 
That's true. It's one horsepower. <laughs> Is that accurate? <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, the detective in charge of the Mounted Division uh, investigation, J.P. Levesque, he is in some of the documentaries uh, that I cited at the bu- at the top, and he's a total square. But some of the information their team was able to find out is that in both Canada and on the east coast of the U.S., the Hells Angels began taking contract work for the Italian mob. So they became enforcers for the mob at one point. Oh, shit. But here's the thing. The angels aren't dumb. If there's anything we have learned from the last two episodes, it's that the Hell's Angels are run like a well-oiled business machine and they are not stupid. And so they start taking contract work from the Italian mob and realize that they're doing all the mob's dirty work, but only getting a fraction of the money. So they have the bright idea that they should start their own syndicate and just pay themselves and keep all the money. So that's exactly what they do. Holy they went shit. fucking freelance. Yeah. Yes. And according to the LAPD during this time, their main business ventures were drug and arms trafficking and money laundering, but not just any money laundering because they now have 24 chapter or 27 chapters in addition to their uh, original six across the world so they specialize in overseas banking this is some like evil bond villain level rich shit yeah and actually all of your information for how to do this can be found in the zen of motorcycle maintenance (laughs) (laughs) it's actually a handbook for how to run your own drug smuggling game yeah it's how to run a business like a well-oiled motorcycle um yeah (laughs) And I, I will say, though, that arms dealing does it's not a super lucrative business long term because each person only needs two, two arms <laughs> until I find a way to put more arms on my body. I mean, octopuses. Yeah. But the, yeah, that is true. The and one man that was able to do it, Doc Ock, kind of a bad guy. So kind of a bad guy. Alfred Molina, great actor. So the police know that all of this is going on but they can't pin anyone down and so in the early 1970s they start arresting angels for literally anything they can think of but none of the charges seem to stick or they're all so low level they don't have any real impact Sonny Barger himself is arrested on weapons charges right around 1971 and spends the next six years just in and out of prison sometimes he's there sometimes he's not it's multiple charges, multiple trials, but they have enough money to instantly get people off and pay bails and hire lawyers because they're fucking rich as shit. I know that you meant get people off, like get them out of prison, but my, I do. my first yeah. idea was they're just like, hey, Sonny, look at this. And they flash him like half a half a million <laughs> dollars and he's just like, oh, my God. Oh, oh, yeah. That really makes my motorcycle go. Sonny, how come? You can make it so none of these charges stick. Well, the secret is motorcycle oil. (laughs) That is exactly how he sounds. (laughs) I'll get to why probably either at the end of this episode or in the next one. I know why. I won't ruin it, but it's one of those things where I looked at young pictures of Sonny and then I looked at old pictures of Sonny and I was like, what the fuck, dude? Was it meth? Is the secret meth? No. It's not. We will get into it. Okay, okay, okay. So in 1972, one year, the Angels are credited with trafficking more than $31 million worth of drugs. What? 
1973, the following year, Sonny Barger is convicted of heroin possession and possession of other narcotics, and they sentence him to 10 years in Folsom Prison. But the clubs pull their legal resources and they get him out in four years. Now, while he's in prison, a lot of stuff changes because he is there for four years. So that next year, in 1974, while he's still in prison, they manage to acquire a chemist who works for one of the large, the like big four oil conglomerates. We don't know which one. Some of that stuff is still sealed and we'll probably never find out. But they pull a chemist from one of the oil conglomerates and that chemist starts manufacturing large amounts of methamphetamine for the angels so that they can widen their distribution net even further. And they use a P2P method. If you're familiar with Breaking Bad, this is what Walter White uses. This is literally the same method. That's why they refer to Walter White's meth as biker meth. And it is supposedly much stronger and purer than normal meth. Now, the way that they have to make it means that they have to obtain phenyl-2-propanone, which is the P2P, or methylamine, which both become controlled substances within the United States. So they couldn't really get it here. But it was pretty easy to get in Australia, where it was no longer a controlled substance, or rather it wasn't a controlled substance yet. So their Australia chapters start trafficking the P2P ingredients into the United States to the other chapters. Each batch of meth that they produced is worth $2 million, coming in at about 79 pounds of meth per batch. God, Holy damn. crap. And what's fucked up was they trafficked all of that inside of kangaroo pouches. That's how they <laughs> snuck them in. Here's what's weirder. They hid the meth in bikes. Really? Oh, in the, in the oil tank, in the tank. So in a lot of places. So remember how we talked about how motorcycles are customizable and you can take them apart pretty easily. So they would do things like pull out the seat of a motorcycle and fill it with meth meth or have like let's say they had a pickup truck with like two bikes in the back of it they'd fill the tires with meth or they would fill like the parts of the engine cavities with meth which is a little dangerous because when you heat it up you know yeah but that's how they were trafficking it they were hollowing out their handlebars and filling the handlebars with meth they literally their bikes became the delivery devices so that even if they got pulled over no one would find the meth on them it was crazy. What's fucking weird is that I have, uh, we all kind of have like a familiarity with shipping now with how much we have to do yeah. of it. So <laughs> there is a not 0% chance that some dude accidentally got a motorcycle that was maybe the wrong one. And they were like, right. hey, um, guys, I don't want to be weird, but I think John is really into his motorcycle now. <laughs> John's just in the back, like, yeah, fucking ready to go. I, yeah, also, like, the laws that govern shipping and the amount of, like, inspection things go through is less than you would think. In Australia, they only check one place down under. And if there's, <laughs> if there's nothing there, if there's nothing there, just pass it right through. Uh, all I'll say is the angels become very, very sophisticated with their drug enterprise. And they think of everything. Oh, wow. It's, it gets wild. But the problem is, they're not the only ones at this point selling meth. And they start to encroach on the territory of the Outlaw Motorcycle Club, which are their rivals. And this starts a war that would literally last decades. 
And it's during this war that a young man named George Christie joins the club in the L.A. chapter. And he begins to kind of rise in the ranks. And remember, this is all taking place while Sonny's in prison. This is like 1974, 1975. And George joins the club at a time when the police are literally on their ass any chance they get. They're just constantly following them, trying to make things stick. And at this time, they start a feud with another motorcycle gang called the Mongols. And the problem with that is they were fighting in the open and the level of violence that the police were finding was just drawing more and more attention to the club. And the more attention they had, the more likely their business was going to be interrupted. Once the Mongols basically bombed a building in downtown L.A., a small bomb, no one got hurt, uh, someone was going to have to answer for it. And at this point, George advocates within his chapter that they lay low and that they just don't fight with the Mongols anymore and they kind of bow out. And doing so makes him the president of the L.A. chapter. And he decides further that he's going to move the chapter to Ventura to avoid further clashes. For those of you who are not from California, Ventura is a solid hour and some change outside of L.A., yeah. Uh, just a little further up the coast. Their official, Ventura's official slogan is, hey, at least we're not in the city. Yeah, 100% of, hey, sometimes there's an ocean here. Uh, <laughs> Shit, yeah. And sometimes there's fires. So he, once he moves the chapter, he actively tries to reduce the use of explosives just nationwide it draws too much attention and he also advocates for avoiding rivalries with other clubs saying that their common enemy was law enforcement the other motorcycle gangs had the same enemies they did he wanted to basically stop drawing attention and stop wasting time fighting other motorcycle clubs when they should focus on getting away from the cops now Sonny, who is still in prison at this time didn't fully agree he would actually take interest in a particular club and start a rivalry and he wouldn't let it go until bad things happened. And so that kind of puts him at odds with George because George was starting to get super popular and people actually started to warn him, don't get too popular in the club because Sonny doesn't like competition. And we would find out how much Sonny didn't like competition in 1977 when he was released from prison. At this point... George is still a newer member of the Hells Angels kind of Southern California division, but he's quickly rising and he becomes a powerful voice that gets pretty close to Sonny. And he recalls in one of his interviews in the documentaries that one time they went on a run to Lake Shasta, which is in Northern California, and cops were following them the entire way. And they thought they had ditched the cops, but the cops found them and rode into their camp. And instead of getting arrested or surrendering, they fought the cops and the cops left. Basically, Sonny stared the cops down until they drove away. Damn. And they get away with it. And with George in this interview, he's recalling the story and he basically compares Sonny to a father figure and he says that he thinks that's why so many people wanted to follow him is because they wanted to make him happy because he was so strong in the face of things that would normally terrify people that people felt like they could trust him 
I remember when my dad used to play catch with me in the backyard and then kick the shit out of police officers. And I was like, you're such a good dad. (laughs) You do all the things a good dad should do. That's fucking wild. It's it's wild. Now, George had some problems of his own because he had established a charter in Ventura, California, which, if we remember from the last episode, if you establish a charter, you're responsible for defending it. Within 50 miles or some shit, right? Within 50 miles. And there was another local club. Now, at that time, they could choose to absorb that local club and make them part of their Hells Angels club if they wanted. Or they could just kick the shit out of them until they leave. And this motorcycle club was the Orphans. They had an exceptionally bad reputation. And his chapter decides that they're just going to fight him. And so they have open fights in the streets with the orphans, so violent that at, at points the police would drive by, see what was happening, and then just call out of the window of their car and say, don't leave anyone in the street, and then keep driving. Jesus Holy Christ. shit. That's how scared they are of them. Dude, they could have gotten them to join so easily if they would have just been like, hey, hey, hey. We do have father figures. And the orphans would have been like, oh, yeah. That's what we've been looking for this entire time. (laughs) Now we can stop our criminal enterprise of chimney sweeping. Yeah. (laughs) Now, the orphans left town pretty quickly when their clubhouse mysteriously burned to the ground. And rumor has it that the fire department got there and watched it burn. And didn't do anything to stop it. I'm no detective, but I got a few hunches. Yep. So they managed to eliminate all of their other competition. And controlling the area, again, kind of propels George a little bit further up in the ranks. Meanwhile, Sonny was newly out of prison. And there were doubts as to whether or not he had retained his power. An ATF agent who infiltrated the Angels named Jay Dobbins uh, says that Sonny didn't ever really want to give up power and he saw George as a threat. So he was doing anything he could to kind of maintain his power within the club at this point. So he schedules a run to Frisco, Colorado. Now, a run is basically where they're all going to ride together. Usually it's to a motorcycle rally or to like a pickup or uh, to another chapter to visit, but it's them traveling in a group together, like a road trip. Occasionally, it's them making their way to a white castle. Um, A lot of hijinks (laughs) ensue. Exactly. Or to just disrupt a concert in the park. (laughs) Yeah. They're like, I heard we could drink as much beer as we want and see the Rolling Stones. Do you guys want in? Or just to go in, just to go fuck up a Charles Dickens character in the middle yeah. of the street. Y'all want to go burn down an orphan's house? Let's do it. Aww. Fuck Christ. So Sonny wants to set up a run to Frisco, Colorado, but he gets wind that the outlaws, their rival club, are going to be in Sturgis, South Dakota. Now, if you don't know anything about biker culture, Sturgis, South Dakota is the home of the biggest motorcycle rally in america and it's also the oldest and one of the largest motorcycle events of the year it's a huge deal and they'd been at war with the outlaws at this point for almost a decade and so sunny decides he wants to go to sturgis and meet up with the outlaws and rumble this shit out but 
the bulk of the club was already on the way to Colorado. And there was no way to get the word out because this is before cell phones and before answering machines. So he has no way to communicate it to everyone. Half the club makes it to Sturgis and the other half doesn't. And the other half includes George. And this creates a dividing line for the club. The people who made it to Sturgis and the people who didn't. Because he only makes it there with half the club, he can't stand up to the outlaws at all. So he doesn't. he's not able to do any of his plan, basically. Jeez. Yeah, but it's not George's fault, right? Like, he wasn't, like disobeying a direct order exactly have you ever had like a friends make a plan and then you're like i can't make it and the next time you hang out they all have like an inside joke and then it's just Mm. like oh fuck i missed out i missed out on that time we should have been fucking up the outlaws or whatever yeah Yeah, but also Sonny is taking it personally according to george yeah he's he sounds like a fucking asshole also he could have just like i don't know I would like to suggest, and maybe it's because I've been rewatching Game of Thrones lately, but I would have liked to suggest Ravens, all right? Maybe that would have, A, it makes you look way fucking badass to be followed by a cloud of ravens. That's true. That's B, true. Yep. Yep. ravens don't need Wi-Fi. That's true. Except to check their Instagrams. Other than that, <laughs> yeah. though, very pro I mean, you're assuming that birds are real. Oh, that's true. I forgot the birds were part of a government conspiracy to keep an eye on all of us. I mean, yeah, the birds work for the bourgeoisie. Yeah. So checking Instagram, that's so Raven. <laughs> oh, fuck <geez>. me. <laughs> oh, no, my so God. <laughs> so Sonny is taking it personally, and this basically has divided the club in half. And George wants to make peace. So George drives from Ventura to Oakland, and he basically comes to meet with Sonny. And he says, I've been here for five years, but I've got my own chapter i'm well respected we didn't try to ruin your plan we just couldn't get there we didn't know and it would be better if we were a united front against the few people that want to hurt us like the outlaws so can we please bury the hatchet so that we can solidify the club and eventually after talking they agree and they bury the hatchet two years later in 1979 and this is literally only two years after Sonny's been released from prison originally, the Bay Area Hells Angels compounds, that's Oakland, Berkeley, and a few others, are raided, and they are charged with RICO charges uh, for both drugs, weapons, and soliciting and committing murder. RICO, if you're not familiar, stands for Racketeering Influence Corrupt Organization. It's an acronym. Uh, They're given a trial with a judge named Samuel Conte, known as Hanging Sam. Uh, He does sound kind of cunty to me, though. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. It was right there. So he's not fun to hang with. Oh, no. uh, Hanging Sam, I think, because he usually just, like, sends people to death. (laughs) Like, right, 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 right. So, yeah, not fun to hang with. Uh, Dead tired afterward. (laughs) Now, under this trial they're charged with 44 different charges that the police believe qualify for rico but the jury cannot reach a verdict on 38 of the 44 charges and so the initial trial is declared a mistrial yeah because don't you need for rico you need like seven is it seven of them uh it's it's more than that but i think it also depends on which of the charges go through yeah because you have to prove multiple sources so it has to be like 
murder and guns and drugs working yeah. together for all of it. And if you could like only prove murder, that's not Rico. And the trial is for Rico. And so if they can't prove enough, the case gets dismissed, which is basically what happens here is it's a mistrial. As far as I my understanding goes, because I know that we covered Rico in a previous episode and I did a lot. I, it's very, very confusing, even yeah. for like people in in uh, in the know of the law. But the 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 easiest way that I saw somebody explain it is that it seems to be that you have to prove that there is a criminal organization yep. that is making money through illegal means and then using that illegal made money to, to further fund. do something else illegal. Yeah. Yeah. So they're so, hosting rackets. Yeah. So you have to like prove that they are selling drugs, a illegal, and that it's done at the behest of the organization and not mm -hmm. just individuals. And then you would have to prove that they're using that drug money to buy guns to then use those guns as murder for hire muscle. Yeah. Is what oh. they would have had to prove, essentially. It is what we in the legal community call a court Yahtzee. Yeah, it's a... Yeah. <laughs> that's a Yahtzee. Yes. That's, that's a Yahtzee. Um, is the idea that charging them with RICO means that anyone associated with the organization is automatically charged with something and will go to jail? No. The goal would be that the organization itself would be at fault so that the organization could no longer exist so is the goal. they take their trademark? <gasps> yeah, they would take that. But then also once they would prove RICO, they could then potentially uh, charge almost anyone in the group, especially if they could prove that they participated and had knowledge of it. Um, and so it would basically lead to a wider investigation as well. It's not okay. necessarily a blanket, but it would put almost all of them behind bars and it would have ended the motorcycle club for good. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So the initial trial is a mistrial, but because it's a mistrial and they weren't acquitted, double jeopardy doesn't apply. Uh, so they are retried in 1981, this time with charges added specifically for Sonny Barger and his wife. And there are many of the same RICO charges. But again, the jury could not reach a verdict and they are set free. The federal prosecution against the Angels for these two trials alone cost $15 million. Wow. They failed to prove that the gang itself was part of the criminal activity. They could prove that certain members or individuals were, but they couldn't tie it back to the gang. And that's part of the problem because the certain individuals are not on trial. The gang is. And so that's why both get dismissed. Now, through the early 1980s, the police continue following Sonny Barger and the Hells Angels, and they are on their ass 24-7. They can't make any moves without the police knowing. And at this point, Sonny Barger maintains that he is not the president. There is no national president. He maintains that each chapter is an independent chapter and they're not a criminal organization. And there's a lot of reasons why he would want to do this. If you're just separate independent chapters like a franchise, it's much more difficult to charge you with RICO as a group, even if you're working together. Because mm, you don't have a head. Exactly. And you're not a cohesive organization. Mm. So... As they were setting up for those RICO cases, the FBI and law enforcement had started to set up fake 
steals and like bugging people, infiltrating the organization, but doing things like fake drug buys and things to create cases. But most of those end up being thrown out even for the individuals because they are entrapment. And so they're really unable to nail down charges for almost anyone during this time. And by the end of the 80s, there are chapters of the Hells Angels in 15 different countries. They're still under the watchful eye of law enforcement and now on a worldwide scale, including Interpol. Uh, But law enforcement still credits them during this time with the spread of methamphetamine around the world. Their biggest chapters are in the UK, Australia, and Germanic and Nordic countries, but also Japan. And these charters aren't just charters, they're a worldwide drug network. And their strongest chapter of their drug network is in Canada. The club starts trafficking marijuana to Canada because that was Canada's bestseller. Yep. That's that BC bud, buddy. Yeah. My did this. Yeah. He not a lot, but he did smuggle marijuana into Canada. Yeah. Oh yeah, who hasn't? Now, uh, they were smuggling it in via Montreal and through Vancouver, so both sides. And then they were trafficking ecstasy and Molly back into the US in exchange. So they did this by installing their club members into jobs at the ports meaning that they would control the shipping of these items as well. Because if you're controlling the ports and the people inspecting the things that you're shipping, you can control the drugs coming in and out. That's so brilliant. Yeah, it's really brilliant. It's pretty amazing. So they really took Seize the Means of Production seriously. Oh, they! it astounds me how well they were able to function as essentially a drug syndicate for years, years. And even, I mean, to modern day, there are still some angels trafficking drugs. It's just not as widespread. Um, But at this time, George kind of wanted to avoid association with meth because the court cases were mounting and it was taking up a lot of their resources. And so it was time for him to make some rules. The first rule he made was that heroin was outlawed in the club. And there's a reason for this. There was a history of people stealing from the club to buy heroin. And at one point, a member who had been picked up on heroin charges snitched on members of the club to avoid jail time. And the cops went back on their offer, didn't honor the original deal with him, and asked him to try and snitch on George and a few other members of the Hells Angels. Now, the informant, Larry was his name, instead of actually snitching on them, because they'd already snitched on some lower level members, but instead of snitching on some of the higher ups, Larry ran out of town. And mysteriously, he was found dead later in a motel on the East Coast, most likely murdered by a fellow angel to keep him quiet. Wow. So for George, he just wanted to avoid all of that. Basically, it's better if there's just no heroin here at all, since that the, that's the problem it causes. Yeah, that's, that's like a weird house rule that we have, too. <laughs> yeah. Just... No heroin. Yeah, at Colt Podcast. It was really hard for Andrea for a while. Yeah. But... Yeah. Because she's a horse girl. I don't know if anyone got that, by the way. What? Because a nickname oh, for heroin a is hor- horse. Kick- oh. Yes. <laughs> 
I don't know enough about drugs to understand that. That joke. was. I'm God, sorry. That, that was for that like is... one person out there that was like, <laughs> and yeah. then immediately like, oh God. <laughs> now meth was allowed, but if you chose to sell meth, the club wouldn't support you or pay your legal defense. But in the midst of all of this and all of their basically mounting drug empire, which, by the way, at this point, they had so much money that Hell's Angels would fly first class to drug deals. What? Yes. No, you can't be. Okay. I understand. I understand the need to fly some places because a motorcycle is not the greatest means of transportation. But if you're a Hell's Angel, you can't fly first class, right? And I don't mean that from the perspective of another flyer. I mean, like, you got to ride in the motorcycle of the plane, which is obviously the bathroom seat. That's where you gotta go. The jump seats. Yeah, it smells fucking awful. It's uncomfortable. And it's badass, dude. And your balls will hurt. And your balls will hurt after. (laughs) So in the midst of all of this success, while Sonny was in prison, he had been smoking unfiltered cigarettes. Now, he'd been a lifelong smoker. So this wasn't anything new. And to be honest, this is the 70s. Most people had been lifelong smokers. But Sonny, after being released from prison, within a couple months of being released from prison, discovers that he has throat cancer. He undergoes radiation and a laryng... And I'm not going to be able to say this. A laryngectomy? Laryngectomy. That's when you get your larry cut off. Yeah, exactly. Uh, He's got uh, like a vibration box kind of a thing in his throat so he can kind of press on it to talk. It's almost like an artificial voice box. It's kind of like a tracheal hole kind of thing. And so he can still speak, but it's somewhat garbled and vibrating sounding. But the problem is this puts him out of commission as far as the club goes for months as he undergoes treatment. And with him out of the picture, a power vacuum appears and George rises in the ranks of the club and also in the eyes of the FBI. Damn. But Sonny does recover and assumes control again of the club through the early 1980s until in 1986, the FBI starts launching a full-scale investigation into both Sonny and George, who are now kind of co-running the club. Because while Sonny was sick, George kind of took over and never fully steps down. So they kind of co-run things. Is this like a situation from The Office where like Steve Carell was like out for a little bit and then they made Jim the leader and then like Steve Carell's like, well, now I want to be leader again. And Jim's like, I don't think so. And also, I don't approve of your meth use, Steve Carell. Yes, exactly that. It is exactly that. So the FBI launches an investigation and they call it Operation Cacus. What? C-A-C-U-S. Cacus. Yeah. Okay. You're so close to a word. but It's, sure. so, yeah, it's it not cactus. Like a, it's not caucus. I don't know. It sounds like a fucking guy from Boston saying carcass. <laughs> I saw his fucking caucus over there. It sounds like the sound a cat makes when they're about to throw up. Caucus. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> now, 
the way that. that this had come about was that an FBI branch in Alaska had fostered a relationship with an informant named Tony Tate. <laughs> Look, I'm going to be honest. I'm mostly ratting because they keep calling me Tony Tate and I cannot stand. He claims they called him Tony Truth, but I don't think that's true. Um, I think that's just him trying to sound cooler and he's a total square of oh, fucking course he is he th- well you doubt me you don't think i'm telling the truth do you know what they called yeah me? it definitely wasn't tony taint i tell you that much allegedly he was not a law enforcement officer at all but had friends who were and the story is that he infiltrated the hell's angels on a dare oh no you fucking didn't no that's one of those things where it's like hey guys hey you guys you guys dare me to go join the Hells Angels? Yes. Wouldn't that be fucking crazy? I've done that a thousand times where it's like, hey guys, do you dare me to eat a whole medium pizza from Domino's by myself? Wouldn't that well, be wild? Wouldn't that okay. be crazy? In fairness, Armando did join the KKK. So I did join the clan. I feel like maybe? Yeah. You know what's funny though? Joining the clan was not as detrimental to my health as eating an entire medium pizza from Domino's by myself. That was much worse for my body overall. That's true. So Tony does manage to infiltrate the club and he infiltrates in California. He actually ends up rising to the rank of sergeant at arms for the West Coast through the Oakland Club. And he does all of this while informing to the ATF and the FBI. I'm the sergeant of arms. You know how I got here? Because I got two of them. It's fucking crazy. I got two. In an interview, he claims that they call him Tony Truth. Again, I think this is bullshit. <laughs> Wait, they, they, he claims the the bikers call him Tony Truth is what he's saying, right? right? Exactly. That's... And the whole time he's snitching? The whole time he is snitching. August 12th, 1986, everything changes. John Webb, who was a member of the Hells Angels, has a run-in with two members of the Outlaws. And they're people that he knows. But there's a dispute over money, and there's a gunfight, and John is murdered. A meeting is called to discuss the murder. As West Coast Sergeant-at-Arms, Tony Tate is seated directly next to George, who is presiding over the meeting as the leader in Sonny's absence. He shows up to the meeting with a brand new cast on his forearm, claiming it's from a bicycle accident. But George is suspicious because he has no road rash. He basically has no other injuries except for the cast. And he's also shifting and nervous. And as the meeting goes on, Tony is actively encouraging a war over this murder. And now George becomes even more suspicious because it's not meeting talk. This is not the meeting where we talk about the illegal shit. And they're already at war with the outlaws. So, like, what more war do you need? And at this point, we find out that there's a bug in the cast. But because George doesn't say anything and turns down offers to have the outlaw people murdered, Tony Tate is unable to record any useful evidence from the meeting. So he tries a different tactic. They put a bug in a beeper because this is back when beepers existed. Mm -hmm. And he goes over to Sonny's house and he uses the beeper as a reason to use Sonny's phone to talk directly to the feds where they tell him exactly what they want him to say. 
Hey, Sonny, you see my new fucking beeper? This shit's crazy, man. I don't have to call anybody. And look at this. I made it say boobs. <laughs> Tony Taint. Now, at this point, Tony presents Sonny with a plan. Tony says that he wants to blow up the Kentucky clubhouse of the outlaws to finish them once and for all. And he says to Sonny, it's rough, but there'll be collateral damage. And Sonny says, but it's worth it to get rid of the outlaws once and for all. And now the FBI has that on tape. Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. <laughs> then, yeah, and then you play that meme where the FBI rushes Yeah. <laughs> the only reason I, I really do want to call him uh, Tony Taint is because he is stuck between Sonny Barger and the FBI, which I would call being literally stuck between a dick and an asshole, um, <laughs> which is exactly where the taint resides. Anyway, I'm sorry. I know you guys don't love the character of Tony Taint, but I'm in love. <laughs> Tony Taint here. Tony, Tony Kansas is my cousin. <laughs> Tony Kansas is my fucking cousin. <laughs> you can't believe what he's hiding in his tractors. <laughs> it's fucking meth. <laughs> uh, so at this point, the FBI has everything they need to finally put Barger behind bars for what they believe will be the long haul. And that's where we're going to leave off this week. And next week, we'll follow their additional FBI case and infiltrations and the club to modern day. Yay! This is so good. I'm having so much fun. Yeah. Essentially, the next episode is going to be about George and Sonny's rivalry of who should take over the club. I do. I what sucks is I, I already watched a movie that is basically the plot of next week's episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and in case you guys do want to watch it for yourself, it is called wild hogs. Um, and it's available everywhere. you want to watch. <laughs> Wait, I, don't know this. I don't understand. It's a documentary. You'd love it. <laughs> yeah. Wild hog. Is this a porn? No. Yes. <laughs> Wild Hogs is a. It hey, should everyone be. listening out there, no one tell Andrea about <laughs> Wild Hogs. Is this like Girls Gone Wild, but for guys? No, for pigs. Kind of. <laughs> it's a bunch of pigs flashing their like 12 nipples. Yeah. Hogs Gone Wild? I don't know about we this. We give them one. a free t shirt, but they just fucking eat it. So it's upsetting. <laughs> Oh my gosh. This is such a great series. I'm I'm in love with this. I'm switching it. We're no longer cult podcast. We're just motorcycle gang podcast. And uh <laughs> Well, and I know I know no one expected this to be four episodes, and I know the episodes have been around like an hour each, but that's because there's like great stopping points every time. Would it be crazy if we designed a patch and released a patch with the last episode of next week? I mean, this is something that we already put forth in the ether. Uh, if anybody out there has a has a is great at graphic design, and I know that we already got a few patch designs sent to at least to my uh, social uh, media. Yeah, I got like one. Yeah, if if you if anyone out there is good at graphic design and uh, and comes up with a great patch design, we will. Here's the thing: 
two two of us are graphic designers and the the one that isn't also briefly went to art school right yeah i i did actually go to art school for a short time yeah (laughs) exactly so we're not gonna not pay you you know what i mean like if you come up with a good one we might finalize the touches but you'll get a little bit of kickback um and then you'll also get to be a part of cult podcast history as i will put that patch on my body as a as a patch not a tattoo no, we'll yeah, yeah, sew yeah. It on. Do I have to sew on your skin? Yeah, you're gonna. It's gonna sew it uh, onto my butthole to close it up forever. I'll never take a poop again. I don't like this plan. Oh, see, I, I think that's a great gross. plan, Andrea. I think you're not thinking about the benefits of the lack of smells. Lack of smells, baby. Yeah, because that will never go poorly. <laughs> it's not like one day he's just going to burst like a tick that drank too much blood. Like it's just and then shit everywhere. I didn't know that was a. Th- Okay. All right. Yeah. So if you want to design, <laughs> if you want to design a, a cult podcast motorcycle patch, um, something you know, something that encapsulates uh, everything about the show that you, that you love, uh, please go ahead and send that to us because we would love to do that. That's something that we can definitely uh, make it to a real thing. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's gonna be two balls, but they're a heart, and then one is pee, and one is. I feel like we should get custom made truck nuts like that. Yeah. Can we get custom truck nuts? Can we get truck nuts that are like translucent and then put one ball yellow (laughs) and and one one ball ball white, white? (laughs) but just only inside the sack? (laughs) I don't know if we could do it only inside the sack, but we might be able to do white and yellow. Like some type of horrible diagram you would see in a doctor's office. Yes. (laughs) If you went into a fucking doctor's office and they had a pee ball and a cum ball diagram, fucking leave the doctor's office. <laughs> or stay. You might learn some shit. Yeah, That's you might science. You might get fucking gills put onto your body. <laughs> well, as long as they're on the sides of my butt, I'm okay with that. <laughs> this episode, just like every episode, is brought to you by uh, Tony Taint's Motorcycles. They're filled with meth. Hey, <laughs> Do you want the ride of your short, short life? <laughs> then go to Tony Taint's Motorcycles, where they're filled to the kangaroo pouches with Australian methamphetamine. Do you love the road but hate your teeth? Get a meth bike. <laughs> Every purchase comes with a free FBI cast for your fucking arm. Meth bike. Tony Taints, come on down where our slogan is, I swear to God, they call me Tony Truth. All right. <laughs> <laughs> In actuality, our episodes, uh, as always, are sponsored by our wonderful, amazing Patreon donors. <laughs> this episode in particular is brought to you in part by Emily from Canada, eh? She's bringing us our meth. <laughs> or yeah, no, I guess she's, she's bringing the ecstasy in Molly and we're giving her weed. Yeah. Oh, you know what sucks is that I know some people with that name and I think it's so beautiful that I, I, it upsets me that it's the name of a drug because I do want to name my daughter that. Molly? Uh, I, no, ecstasy. ecstasy. Oh, oh, <laughs> that's, I mean, you can, but I think people will make assumptions about her character. Please don't. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. I am going to name my daughter MDMA Torres. So, um, <laughs> That's okay. I'm name. I'm naming my daughter Crank. <laughs> After the movie, of course. After the Jason Statham classic, 
crank. Also the um, drug. Yeah, but Emily. Well, they were on crank when they fucking wrote crank. I guarantee. That's you. why I love it idea. so much. <laughs> I love crank. I got the best idea for a movie, but first. You ever realize how it's good it feels to lick our gums? Mm. 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 Guys, have you ever thought of taking apart the toaster and seeing if you could toast bread on the outside? (laughs) (laughs) I've never done real drugs. I can't come up with examples. I don't know why people would want to do that, but like, I don't know what the drug mind thinks. Straight up? I listen to the pantsless tiger. I would watch a YouTube channel. That was just Paige doing impressions of what she thinks drug people think. <laughs> I would watch the shit what out of that. fucking sucks? <laughs> mm, let's get a baby pool full of garlic bread. <laughs> that's a good idea, though. As an Italian, that's a great idea. Yeah, that's just the that's the special this week at fucking uh, Little Caesars Pizza, by the way. That's Olive Garden. That is, you just pitched Olive Garden. Baby pool full of garlic bread. That's it. I got a bunch of pool noodles. Let's use them to get transmissions from space. <laughs> what fucking... And I don't mean messages. I mean transmissions for cars. <laughs> Let's do it. What sucked about you saying the fucking thing about toasters is when you said it, my fucking has done drugs brain went, oh shit, <laughs> I just realized heaters are toasters for people. <laughs> Cover me in butter, baby. <laughs> Cover me in butter. I'm part of a healthy oh fucking God. breakfast. Um. Put some jam in my folds. <laughs> this does sound like the beginning of a porn. It's like you just do drugs and then you're like, a heater's just the, the toaster for my body, baby. And then it's just <laughs> food porn. Literally. Oh, Emily from Canada says, uh, oh, you guys, about Emily. I'm sorry. <laughs> they say, I love the show and everything you guys do. This is without a doubt one of the most informative and hilarious cult podcasts going. I'm re listening to the show now in my quarantine life when I'm not at work. I'm an essential service. I work in mental health and small option homes. Oh, oh. Uh, I hope y'all are staying safe and healthy. Much love from Nova Scotia. Thank Jesus for the dome and your regular shipment of ecstasy will be in on tuesday i don't think that part <laughs> thank you yeah go get them canada's fbi which i assume is just a bunch of fucking beavers and cute little suits oh my god i love it i think it's an fba oh shit <laughs> fuck <laughs> if you don't shave your legs it's like you've got a fur coat all to yourself <laughs> Pages Drug Thoughts. Oh, my God. Let's start a Twitter called Pages Drug Thoughts. Oh, my God. I want it. I want it so bad. Oh, my God. If you've got... If you... If you don't shave your legs, it's like you got a little coat all to yourself. If you want to send me a picture of a beaver in a suit, a a member of the FBA, if you will... um, I uh please do. Please oh my god, please send it to me on Instagram and Twitter at Mondo Does Stuff, uh, along with any patch ideas that you come up with. That's M A N D O does stuff all one word. Hey guys, if you wanna send me the number one thing you would smuggle to America in a kangaroo pouch, send that to me on all the things at Sundress Comic. Or on my Instagram at Andrea Gazetta. 
easy tiny little baby kangaroo inside yeah, of say. the adult kangaroo because then you fit a little baby kangaroo in that kangaroo and then you got endless kangaroos it's kangaroos all the way down yeah <laughs> all the way down under <laughs> Fuck, i'm so sorry twice yeah and if they send you if, if you go if you if they catch you the worst thing that could happen is they send you to kangaroo court i'm so sorry <laughs> i'm so sorry Fuck. <laughs> That's not a package. This is a package. As they're just like <laughs> trafficking drugs. Um, please send me the best thing you've invented under the influence. Oh, uh, yeah. 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 You can send that to me at Paige Wesley on Twitter or at Rampage Wesley on Instagrams. The new Twitter handle will just be at Drug Inventions. <laughs> <laughs> Or just pages high thoughts. Yes. If you want to follow our show or if you want to send us uh, your f- what you think would be a great pages high thoughts, um, <laughs> you can do so <laughs> on Instagram at Colt Podcast. Or on Twitter at Colt Podcast Show. You can also send us an email to ColtPodcastShow at gmail.com. Yeah, 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 yeah. And if you want to send us a drug invention, like a toaster that toasts bread on the outside, or a small space heater, a.k.a. the toaster for people and pets. Or a miniature kangaroo. Or a miniature kangaroo. You could send that to 3756 West Avenue 40, Sweet K, number 237, like Like the the shining. shining. Los Angeles, California, 90065. And uh, in case you guys missed it in the show before the show, uh, there is a bit of an update on the Halloween live show, the Tricks and Treats, the double feature we are doing with Horror Virgin on Saturday, October 31st. If you are not able to watch the show, which we are still trying to figure out the best time to host it, um, it's looking like it's going to be probably around 5 to 6 uh, p.m. Pacific Standard Time, which would be nine o'clock Eastern Time, if I'm doing my math right. Uh, five would be eight p.m. Eastern. The goal was to try and end it by midnight Eastern. Yes. So so that yeah. that way you know everyone can kind of enjoy it. Um, but if you are not able to watch it during that time period, but you buy a ticket, uh, or if you are and you buy a ticket, you will be able to download or watch the video of the live show afterwards that will be up and available for anyone who purchases a ticket. So that way you can enjoy it um, again and again. Or if you missed it the first time, you can watch it with a ticket. Or you can make your husband who is out of town watch it and double your joy. Yeah. If your husband's out smuggling methamphetamines into Canada as part of his motorcycle gang, first of all, divorce. I'm just going to say it right now. I mean, I'm not a gator lawyer, but I would say fucking divorce that dude. Um, Secondly, really just focus on the divorce. And then like two months (laughs) down the line... (laughs) You know, sometimes love transcends drug charges, okay? That is the case later in this story in the next episode, yes. Oh, but yes, if you buy a ticket uh, at coldpodcastshow.com, you will be able to watch the uh, the live show later if you so choose. Um, yeah, so tickets are $20, shirts are $25, or you can get a bundle for $40. We're really happy. We're really excited. The shirts are fucking dope as hell. And I'm a little biased because I designed them. Uh, and the show is shaping up to be a wonderful, fun time. And I'm so excited. So excited. And I think for this one, I'm going to say 
don't drink the meth juice from inside a motorcycle. That's uh, bad. Fuck. Yeah. Somehow it tastes like oil. And if you're going to do Canadian Molly, drink lots of water. Just don't drink the Kool-Aid. Bye. Bye. Yeah. FBA, eh? <laughs> <laughs>